Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to A Very Sleepy Shed for Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Ignoring Blue Flags is So Hot Right Now. That provided by Kradzi on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Joining you at 11 o'clock UK time. I know, not all heroes wear capes. But at a more civilised hour, we've got Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going quite well. You've caught me at the dinner hour, quite frankly, but I will survive. Okay, so you've had to use a, a few spousal credits to, to get away to your version of the shed. I will continue to let you believe that, although I think personally the family is just as happy to be rid of me. That's fair enough. And I tell you what, we will plug Amanda Weaver's books, your wife's books, at the end of the show to try and make some peace. But Matt, that race that we saw today was... I don't think I'm exaggerating. I said to my boy, I said... That was a that was a modern classic at a key time in a championship battle. I said it's one he's going to talk to his kids about. He's going to talk about these that Austin victory, the Monza thing, the Silverstone stuff, Red Bull pipping Mercedes to the flag. And I don't want to be a gatekeeper of F1 fandom, but I did see some people saying, oh, that race was just OK. And all I'll say is, if we think that race was just OK that there might be some strategic elements that you're missing and we will try our best to to walk you and talk you through those because to me that was one of the the sweetest strategic battles we've seen in F1. I have never been more excited to watch a clock than I was <laughs> in those final laps. Like our whole WhatsApp chat was nothing but three tenths, five tenths, two tenths. He's inside his second. He's outside his it was just it was so <sighs> amazing to watch that play out. And oh, and yeah. to see it all come to fruition like that. I, I can't wait to, to get to, to that bit because, yes, I was up and down out of my chair again, just watching that clock. Would it be four digits? Would it be three digits? We are an yep. independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, 
but we're first. We're always trying to bring fresh new faces to the Missed Apex crew, so making his debut is Nick Alexander. How's it going, Nick? It's going very well. Um, getting a bit of deja vu. I feel like we've had this uh, conversation about what classic F1 is really like on on occasions past. But, you know, the US Grand Prix isn't classic F1. America just seems to do things a bit different. And I am a, a lover of American culture. But the US Grand Prix, it just bangs home the whole event in a way that other Grand Prix don't quite. Was it too much? Was it was it over the top? Did we overdo it? Did we frighten the 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 gentleman? No, I I've always loved it. You know, I think when we was it one of the first Austin Grand Prix, they had like they introduced the drivers going, "It's Kimi Raikkonen," and then he slopes out as there's like fireworks flashing past his eyes. You guys came like you realized that you'd kind of alarmed the Europeans a bit and stepped one step back, but it's still it's still a big it's a big party, and I love it. I don't know. You could have been describing any American sporting event there. I'm not <laughs> sure that I recall that. I do remember when we had the uh, the boxing announcer call everybody's names. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. But I, I think the thing was. that everyone has to remember is kind of like Texas is to America what America is to the world. Oh, so the rest of America is going, oh, yeah, that's a bit Texas, that. Yeah, there was like the the singer and like the fact that the cheerleaders were there and everything. It was it was a lot. <laughs> Let's go all the way to the other side of the world to uh, to Jonathan Simone. Jono, thanks for joining us at a sociable hour for you in Australia. Yep, 9 a.m. And the, the next five races aren't looking too good. We got 6 a.m., 1 a.m., <laughs> 4 a.m., 3 a.m., I think 12 a.m. I'm not sure. Something like that to end the year. Uh, but I'm not complaining. It's F1. Uh, do you know what, though? As an English cricket fan in the 90s, I'm still glad that Australians are suffering from Grand Prix start times. Like, I don't <laughs> mind at all. If I could pick any country to have rubbish mm-hmm. Grand Prix start times, it would be Australia. Uh, well, thank you. I can't wait till the Australian Grand Prix returns, along oh, with all God. the other Asian races, <laughs> and you can all suffer too next year. Yeah. But look, uh, I want to talk tyres with you because I know if mm-hmm. we're going to talk tyres, I talk to Jono. That's what I do. There was a period mm-hmm. where Pirelli were almost the villains of Formula One with their chocolate mm-hmm. tyres. But it just it feels like more and more, like no one's saying, oh, Pirelli tyres, they're terrible, they're chocolate tyres. They probably, on race days like this, deserve as much credit as anyone for bringing F1 to life. Well, 100% in after Canada 2010, almost well over 10 years ago, this was what they were tasked with to bring this style of Grand Prix racing yeah. to Formula One. It was one or two stop races. Initially, it came in as high degradation in 2011. We saw four stop yeah. races at times for the winner. But we've come into the fray today where I've seen the epitome of Grand Prix racing. We had a brilliant championship fight brilliant tire strategies some people going for two stops some people trying things differently this is exactly what we want to see from f1 racing i thought today was quite spectacular i thought very good race matt i'm only joking i'll go to you for tires you know i do but yeah today like pirelli hit that sweet spot and yeah like Jono said they started off a bit too far one way and then i've been annoyed at like the procession of one-stop races if they could somehow find this sweet spot all the time Obviously, the teams would get used to it, but I think, you know, we were in the right place today, weren't we? Yeah, well, I think what you have is finally the regulations and the ability of the tires to stand up to the energy being put through them. 
match. And if you go back to what Pirelli was originally tasked with, they were, as Jono said, please give us high degradation tires, give us tires with unexpected cliffs in them. Basically, they were told to make tires that fall apart to make things exciting when what they really should have been doing all along was making appropriate tires for racing. All right. Look, I will skip past qualifying and the pre-race stuff, although we will circle back to some of the things that happened as we discuss stuff. But I really do want to get to where this magnificent race was won and lost. All right, Matt. Uh, We discussed this a little pre-show, and I think this was a race of four parts. I think we are going to... I know we get accused occasionally of, of focusing on the front battle a little bit too much. I think this week it is perfectly justified. There is the start, there was phase one, stint one, the decisions that ended that into stint two, and then the final stint into the finish. So very much a a race of four parts. But don't worry, we are going to go through and talk about uh, Perez's race in detail, the McLaren versus Ferrari battle, which was absolutely fantastic. Alonso versus... The world, I think. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda, Aston Martin looking a bit woeful. The 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 Alfa Romeos getting stuck in everywhere as well. So absolutely loads to get through. But Matt, start off by telling us where the race was won and lost. Well, as you know, I do love to set things up, not in strict chronological order. Okay. But by picking the most critical point of the race and working outwards from there. Ooh. And happily enough, for your sense of order, <laughs> okay, it's pretty chronological today because, as you said earlier, it is a classic, classic. Your face when I said that was just so beautiful. <laughs> You're messing just with a, me. I am, yeah. just a little bit, just All a little right. bit. It was a classic race. And I'm going to say that the critical moment, and and... Don't misunderstand me. The critical moment here was lap one, turn one, when Lewis Hamilton took the lead of the race, thereby guaranteeing he would lose. <laughs> right. Now, you said that, and I, th- I was like, Yo, what's, this, what's the crazy old fool talking about this time? But I, I think you have a good case to make here. But I do want to start with that lap one, turn one battle, guys, because this was set up to just be... Verstappen and Hamilton wiping each other out again. I'm I'm so glad it didn't turn out that way. But Nick, you are the closest thing we have. And I think I think you are actually a declared Max Verstappen fan. These two drivers going at it, they both do that maneuver where they shove the other driver to the outside. When I saw Hamilton going wide on the exit of turn one, I was not expecting Verstappen to comply and move out. I I was I was seeing echoes of future past again. Yeah, I hear you. I I do feel though that there's just so much runoff at the outside of turn one and in many of the turns uh in the whole circuit, especially in sector one, that um I guess I'm so used to watching cars run wide at turn one and go off track, um, which uh cropped up again later with Alonzo and Raikkonen and all and all that. That yeah. um yeah, not surprised that there wasn't contact, but yeah, glad that we didn't have the race just kind of ruined before it even got underway i forget that you guys are going to be watching more than just formula one at the circuit of the americas and when we've watched uh, indycar there like in the final two turns i don't think they get anywhere near an apex do they they pretty much roll around the outside nascar style well i haven't watched indycar there but i have um I have been for the six hours of the circuit of the americas a couple years ago it's really awesome city really awesome track to be at Jono, 
Are you talking about the Circuit of the Americas here? Of course. <laughs> well, those final two corners, you mentioned NASCAR. It reminds you of the outside. Is it Watkins Glen Turn 1? You know, where they run wide, just completely so wide, ignore yeah. the curb. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about too. Um, thankfully, though, I'm pretty sure they'll fix that in the future. I haven't watched much IndyCar this year, so I'm not sure if they've even visited the, the circuit again. MotoGP had some troubles around this circuit a few uh, weeks and months ago. The bumps were insane for them. F1 seemed to cope with them well, though. Yeah, well, I think they shaved the circuit down a little bit. But as we'll get to later, I think particularly Mercedes had to make some adjustments to make sure they could deal with those bumps and curves. Uh, but with those track limits, just wondering, you know, is it just it's just Formula One that gets overly upset about the track limits? Well, I, I like that. I, I'd prefer white lines all the time. Yeah, I think the rule change next year is going to be awesome for the white line is going to define the track. I think we need something like that to be clearly defined. It'll help the sport. I don't like this thing where, and even in this race, did you see after, I think it was after practice three, was it, where the stewards decided to police, uh, was it the turn six curb or something? And even right. that wasn't policed as the white lines. It was policed as the curb. And then that just be- <laughs> it becomes really, really confusing. So I think next year when they start to police every track as uh, the edges, are the white lines that defines the edges that's as best as we can do it patty in the chat makes the excellent point it seems important that max went off track and didn't try to keep position and still won the race and secondarily it also kind of mattered that when push came to shove perez earned his pay today (laughs) in the first lap by not seriously challenging max for that spot yeah so smart smart from verstappen i think ultimately to go okay this is the the hamilton slash Verstappen maneuver they know that they have two choices they can either yield and go well that car is occupying all the space of the track I will go off and and here's the jeopardy though Matt if Verstappen then clings on to that advantage keeps it flawed and makes up the place he's likely going to get told to give that back there's precedent for that uh, or he holds his ground and risks a crash I was always quite pleased because I, 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 I wouldn't have fully bet if you paused the tape and said, okay, does Verstappen yield and go off track or does he hold his ground and let Hamilton drive into him? I wouldn't necessarily have won that bet. Yeah, um, but I think in this case, working to the advantage of sanity and racing <laughs> yeah. is the fact that Max felt, and I think Red Bull felt, especially after qualifying, that they did have the pace advantage on Mercedes today, especially in the first stint. And if you look at the apex of turn one, as much as we trash Herman Tilke, yeah, you know, it was designed in a way that allowed that kind of battle to happen where you saw Max always, you know, almost, well, he was forced off the track, but almost collide with Lewis. Yeah. Max tried to force him to the tightest line possible. Can't do that at a traditional racetrack. There's less, less width to use at the apex of the track. Yeah. So these rules sort of seem designed for these modern tracks where it is, it is completely okay. It is completely allowed to do that move that Hamilton did as long as the outside car yields and goes off like Max did. Still, I will state for the record, if they turned around and said, no, you must now always leave room to the outside if you force that car off, it's a penalty, I would be very happy for Hamilton to be to be told off and told not to do that today. But, Matt, you are going to credit that manoeuvre, that win, that victory, that finally a good start from Lewis Hamilton off the line. Uh, you're going to credit that through a, a series of tall tales. Uh, for him losing the race eventually. Yeah, by which you mean extremely acute and insightful analysis. I said that. 
Exactly. Oh, did I not? Exactly oh. what you said. Okay. I, I don't know what you heard, but that's what I said. <laughs> Go on then, I, do it. It's very simple. Being in the lead on the medium tire, the medium tire was the weakest of the tires for Mercedes, and it was the strongest for Red Bull. Thus, Max was in a position by the time they even began to get close to what Pirelli had predicted, which was lap 12, the earliest stop for mediums. He was almost inside DRS at that point, and it just gave Red Bull infinite strategic flexibility to undercut Mercedes. And I think the fact that it was lap 10, which is the second critical point, caught Mercedes out. I think they were thinking he would come in one lap early, but instead he came Mm -hmm. in two laps early and there was nothing they could do about it because Lewis was in the lead. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I don't think it was bad for Lewis that he was ahead because if it was the other way around, I think Verstappen goes away a little bit builds up a reasonable lead, then starts tyre saving, but he's controlling the race at like five or six seconds ahead. So that happens a stint early if Verstappen happens to be ahead. But you say that Red Bull had all these strategic options from behind. I think they would have had them anyway, because this is where the season-long and even era-long tactics of Mercedes and, uh, and Red Bull play their part in the history today. Because Mercedes don't take the initiative. They tend to be reactive. That's their choice. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. But when have we ever seen Mercedes go for an undercut or even protect with the undercut? I I think Red Bull know that they've got the undercut that is theirs for the taking. Because Red Bull uh, Mercedes will err towards a longer strategy. So Red Bull are sat there at the back. Am I, am I wrong, Jono? Am I going mad? Red Bull just know in their no. head that they can they can toss that in and it will be on them to make that move. I, I think you're both correct because the answer is the faster car has more options. So if you're Red Bull, you're in the better position to win this race and that's what they did. So the, the, the reason it becomes tough for, for Lewis and for Mercedes is that you have to be perfect and you're striving perf- for perfection in a sport with the car that's not faster today. It was faster on Friday. Saturday turned out to be, in my opinion, the second quickest car. They couldn't score pole position. And so they were down on options mm. for strategy. I think even if Hamilton had pitted earlier in the first stint, I'm pretty sure that Verstappen would have found a way past anyway, but it would have been a lot tougher for Red Bull. Okay, so my only issue with that, Matt, is that of late, even if both cars are even... Overall, even if Mercedes are faster, Red Bull will tend to still look good or better in qualifying and still look good or better in stint one on softer tires with heavier fuel loads. The Mercedes comes into its own generally on the harder tire longer into the race. That's the only point I want to sort of make from, oh, because people can't every weekend we have to deal with Friday. Oh, Ferrari are looking really strong. They could be in with a shout for a win. Dudes, we do this every Friday. And then... It's always doom and gloom from Hamilton and Mercedes people around qualifying and even in the first stint. And I I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, well, no, you are correct. The medium tire favors the Red Bull, which is why Lewis having to go longer on it was terrible for his strategy. And as far as Mercedes being aggressive, I would just bring up Barcelona when I think they pitted Lewis a second time and wound up catching Max and winning. Uh, uh, right, but that, that's later in the race. That's not this yeah. kind of, you know, in this in the situation where it comes to initiating pit stops and strategy, they tend to be, they have tended to be reactive is all. 
Yeah, no, they have been, and they were in the lead. Um, and as a result, I think they were expecting Max to maybe try a lap before the pit window, not mm, two laps yeah. before, because now that's a real stretch, especially for Red Bull on a tire that they don't like as much, which is the hard tire. Yeah, so they've gone to a tire they don't like as much. I just, I just want to stop and uh, and and check in with with uh, with our. Verstappen, Verstappen. I was going to say Verstappen sympathizer, but that's not right. But as as you see your your guy in this battle chasing down Lewis Hamilton, my worry was he's not in an overtaking position. He's chewing up his tires. It it felt like overly aggressive and maybe a bit naive. Like you wouldn't see Hamilton doing that early in a stint. In the opening stint, yeah. Um, so it was a little bit weird. It was like he was following very closely. It seemed like it was very comfortable. It seems like he'd be able to have options and make a move, but also that, well, he can't just sit in this dirty air forever. He's he going <laughs> to overheat his tires, and that's exactly what he did. And I remember in a little WhatsApp chat, I think Bradley Philpot chimed in, like, this is exactly what Lewis wouldn't do. Lewis yeah. would hang back and give himself some space. So um, it was a little bit surprising, and then it was surprising seeing just how effective the undercut was to be honest and it was it was massively successful matt and like yeah you threw egg in my face because i was going this is crazy they've gone too early but, but again all throughout the strategic battle you thought one team has messed it up the other team has messed it up or have they pulled a masterstroke snick um, uh, oh yeah it's hard it's hard to criticize uh, mercedes for being reactive if the other team does something that you wouldn't expect. Mm. I mean, like, you know, in a super, super extreme example, let's say, you know, Max pits on lap two. Then yeah, like, they couldn't you know, have what seen are you that coming. do yeah. about it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Matt. But I also think Mercedes made a lesser category of error in the sense that if we look at the gap when Verstappen came out behind Lewis, I mean, he was really at the end of that lap, barely inside Lewis's pit window maybe by a second, second and a half. But by staying out those extra laps to try and get a tire offset, they wound up 6.6 seconds behind when they came back out. That's a loss of five seconds. And at this point, I do need to remind you that Verstappen only won by 1.333 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also had, obviously, the fresher tires. But again, Mercedes, I think, trapped in no no man's land. And we saw this, was it the last race out where they were trapped in no man's land and you were like, well, either pit now or, or go super long. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting that they didn't want to go blow for blow with Red Bull today. Yeah. Because if they had, there was five seconds on the table right at the first pit stop if they'd simply pitted Lewis the lap after. He would still have come out behind, but, but only, like just behind, yeah. But only a couple of seconds. I mean... Like I said, he was a, uh, it was a second and a half into Lewis's pit window based on a 19 second pit stop delta and versus 6.6 seconds lost when he actually came out from his pit stop lap 13. The only thing I have to, to sort of just play devil's advocate to that is if he did come out two seconds behind, uh, well, actually, let me start that again. If he came out six seconds behind, he made up that time through the tire advantage later on so had he just pitted earlier he wouldn't have had that tire advantage and it pretty yeah. much nullified the effect i think he would have ended up pretty much the same gap anyway but i know what you're trying to say yeah but he would have been five seconds further up the road at the end of the race and on the hard tire which he could have gone longer on mm-hmm. and not lost as much time on but crucially 
behind Max on the hard tire, the undercut is available to him. Yeah. And and by the way, I know I know that a lot was made of the the Perez pitted. So so obviously this goes counter to what Perez would want to do. Perez would just be like, Yeah, 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 I'll just strap some new softs on like three laps from the end. Don't worry about me, I'm chill. But they pitted him to so that if if Lewis ended up going longer, he would then come out behind Perez and have to fight him. This annoyed me for that that Mercedes saw that as a threat. Because had they gone out another and, and, and let's let's remember that Cota is a long track. So even though three laps doesn't seem like a lot, it's more like five laps at Monza or, or Montreal or something like that. So let Perez come in. Let him wear down his tyres for five laps. And then you're going to cruise past him. So th- this, I think, I think they let Red Bull force their hand with the second driver. I don't think Perez would have been too much of a problem at Cota with that much of a tyre disadvantage. So I don't know. I, I just think that was made a bit much of, Matt. Yeah, I agree. I, I For about a lap or so, it looked like he might have something going on on those medium tires. But really, by the second lap, he was back to the same pace that uh, Verstappen was running on the hards. And that was about you know, maybe half a second or so off of what Hamilton was running on his used hards before mm. he, he decided to come in and pit. Yeah. But re- Regardless of how it worked out, you did have Lewis out with fresher tires and, and chasing, chasing Max down. And that brings us to the last really major tipping point, which was when, um, when he had finally just about caught up to Max, was almost inside the DRS, uh, DRS, excuse me, almost inside the undercut range, which is usually around three seconds. Mm. Red Bull just go, okay, lap 29, Max, you can get to the end, right? Yeah, sure, come on in. So there's no undercut. And and that was it. Mercedes, again, had no choice but to go as long as possible. Okay, I want to see where we're all at here. So they say, Lewis, the, it's, it's six extra laps, which in Cota laps is like 100 extra laps. So we know the score. Verstappen's going to catch up for a little bit. Then he's got to hold his tyres as much as he can because he's going to have a charging... Lewis Hamilton coming up behind. There's two points. The first point is when Verstappen came in, what did we think? The second point is when Hamilton came in, what did we think? So Nick, when Verstappen comes in with a million laps left, where are you at in your head? Exactly what you said. There's a million laps left. I'm doing math. (laughs) I'm like, okay, he made it 19 laps and he has to go 30 more laps. I mean, it wasn't quite 30. I think it was 27 more laps to go. And I was just thinking, no way. Um, I couldn't comprehend how he was going to make it to the end. And then the longer Hamilton stayed out, the more nervous I got. See, Jono, at that point, I thought it was Mercedes to lose Mm. at that point. Well, uh, we were confused too, because we were chatting in our own WhatsApp group. And we thought Max was saving those tires in the second stint. So when Lewis was catching him, we thought he was cruising. We heard on the radio he was calm. We thought he was saving the rubber, no, and that's why Lewis so. was catching him. And then later we thought, okay, once Lewis catches him, he'll break away. But what they did was they pitted. So at the end, it turned out that Red Bull weren't saving the tires. Christian was, Horner said, at the, for him. yeah, Christian Horner said at the end that those that set was down to the the carcass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so Lewis Hamilton's going out, Matt, and Verstappen's still slightly catching at that point. So there's there's this, there's this point where there's a 16 second gap with Hamilton yet to pit. Verstappen's on fresher tyres, but they're matching lap times. And there was a couple of laps where they were matching lap times. It was staying at 16 seconds. Then towards the end of their extended stint, 
they hit some traffic, they lose a few seconds, and then that's when Hamilton comes in. So with the magic wand of hindsight, you can go, ah, well, they should have come in before they'd hit that traffic and they'd have been peaches and, and apples. But once they came out, once Hamilton came out with like nine seconds to catch, at that point, I was very pessimistic for Hamilton's chances. I There, I was going, no, I don't think that's... I don't think that's going to happen because we see this so often. They'll make up a little bit and then they 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 get up there. They've used the tyres. The guy at the front has saved just enough and, and we don't see the overtake. And yeah, you would be right. I mean, there was enough time. It's like optimum. It's like optimum qualifying times. If you take all the fastest sectors, there was enough time in those tyres for Lewis to catch mm. Max. But... That's not reality on a track with traffic and stuff like that. And and we'll get to that. But if they were to come out, if they had, again, followed Max and said, okay, we have a choice. We can try and fight you at the end with a small tire advantage, or we can fight you right now. Well, you know, uh, he was about three seconds back when Max pitted. As it was, as you said, when he came back, I think it was about eight and a half seconds he had to make up by going longer. And that's another five and a half seconds lost to the big clock in the sky. John, I mean, it could be as simple as whatever they did, they were going to be super close. And, you know, perhaps track position was <laughs> king and that just me and Red Bull, Red Bull went for track position and it's and it's won them the race. I'm laughing here because this is a tough podcast. Normally we have about four or five hours to go and study all this and distinguish everything. <laughs> yeah. Now we're doing this literally right after the end yeah, of the race. Man. I'm trying to figure out things on the on the fly here. It's hard. Yeah. And and tell you what, those lazy podcasts that come out on like Wednesday or whatever, I mean, for <laughs> F1's sake podcasts, don't release their race review until pretty much the next race is already happening. Exactly. Yeah. How awful is that? And then they just copy what we say anyway, but add like <laughs> add quote unquote jokes to it. Uh, but that that final sector, Matt, that was that was incredibly exciting uh, for my money. The the slight thing that that took it away from me, not as anyway, we we discussed these topics to death. So when the commentators were talking about battery charging, that element I didn't love because you saw the gaps seesawing backwards and forwards, generally ebbing towards Hamilton closing the gap. But I, I don't know, the, the the charging battery strategy does nothing for me. I, I could live without that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what they're saying, and all right, this is kind of a complete tangent, so um, you're probably going to be sorry you brought this up. Oh. But this is actually where Ferrari might have an advantage over both Mercedes and uh, the Red Bull Honda engine, is that the way the straights are laid out is they're very, very long, and most of the power units will suffer from some clipping. Now, they do a special outlap in qualifying to make sure the batteries are fully 100% charged, but when you're chasing someone like that, especially at the end of the race, if you're using more energy than you're recouping, then you're going to reach a point where your power advantage, which is what Mercedes had a little bit, Mm -hmm. will start to disappear, and you're going to have to just chill a little bit If you want to make another push, now it might be the battery charge. It might also be the rear tires on the Mercedes were their weak point. They tended to overheat them. So as we get into the final laps, I'm talking like 53, 54, 55, we did see he was all the way up. He was just about inside of a second. And then he came back out a little bit. And it was the first time we saw Verstappen be faster in sector two, Mm. for example. And you're going, okay, either he's trying to save some battery charge or he's 
cooling the tires just a little bit because he wants to be able to make that final one, two lap push to have a real overtake attempt. And I think, but you're down to the drivers, you're down to the kind of margins that the teams are no longer responsible for. You're looking at the drivers absolutely making the difference, I think, in the Red Bull and in the Mercedes this time around. Both drivers were bloody amazing. Oh, yeah. Whoever wins this title, that's a brilliant title. It's a good story. Whoever wins it, it's, it's amazing. Some of you may suspect that I want one driver to win over the other. But honestly, this is one of those titles where you just go, I mean, it's going to hurt if your driver doesn't take this home. I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to a massa moment if, if it happens. But in this race in particular, let's look at the race winner. Max Verstappen won this race. And, let, and let's be clear, Nick, he proactively won this race. I didn't like the sitting in the toe, in the dirty air. I, I feel like he kind of maybe took his own team even by surprise by doing that and then going, well, my tyres are gone. Yeah, dude, because you sat in the dirty air. But judging a charging Lewis Hamilton behind you and judging exactly how much tyre and battery you're going to need to win that race, we can't take away how special that was today. And he, he seemed pretty cool-headed as well. Um, we didn't get a ton of radio messages, but I remember when he was coming up on Schumacher and he got on the radio, he was so polite. Like, hi, could you please <laughs> get on the phone and just, no hurry, but if you could just ask him to just <laughs> scoot over just a little bit, I would appreciate that so much because, you know, race. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's my, I've, it's, I've lost my cool more in races on foot that had no consequence whatsoever. Yeah, it's just this is my stapler. I bought this stapler from from home. That that was pretty cool, Matt. But let me put my Hamfosi fanboy hat on and go. Oh, he's a. L-. You make your own luck. But I thought it was bad luck for him that Schumacher was there, and indeed he did lose time. But as soon as they go down the home straight and Verstappen's DRS opens and Hamilton doesn't, I just go. Ooh, you lucky bugger. Yeah, no, it was incredibly, it was amazing that somehow he didn't get inside the DRS mark, Lewis, that is, and Verstappen did, but it did cost him a lot of time. It did, about about 0.56 seconds, but the DRS, I think, paid that back. If you were Verstappen, you'd have taken that loss to, to suddenly see your flaps open and Hamilton's flaps not open. I sat down at that point. That's when I said to the boy, I said, that's it. That's that. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and indeed, that following lap, we saw Lewis get wide through, through the S's and lose even more significant amounts of time. Well, I, I've always hated that rule for 10 years with, with <laughs> DRS for a driver who's about to lap someone. I always think if the driver's about to get out of the way, why should they have DRS? Yeah. And I've always hated it for 10 years. I still don't know why that rule's in, in effect, you know? It's not like you're going to struggle to overtake someone who's about to move out of the way for you. Is it that it's automated, so they but, but can't do anything if, about it? If it is, can't you automate it so that if somebody's a lap down on the timing system, you don't get it? I'm sure there's some way to do it. I mean, you'd think. I don't think Verstappen fans would be very happy if that rule had just been <laughs> changed. But, it, I mean, look, you... you I'm not taking. I'm just saying that there was that's one bit of good fortune. Mm-hmm. Hamilton had various bits of good fortune and bad fortune with the traffic as well. Verstappen was held up like for for like two laps or whatever by Kimi Raikkonen, and then somehow managed to get stuck behind Sonoda. No, dude, we gave you the contract. Get out the way. So yeah, I'm I'm not like putting that 
I'm not saying, oh, he was fluky just because of that one thing. Um, I'm just, it's just a factor. It's just a factor at the end of the race that possibly took away an attempt on the final lap. That's all. And it, the thing about races like this, at least to me, is that the more you think about them, the more you wonder, what if? And I do, I do scratch my head some and wonder if instead of making the fight at the end of the race, mm. Mercedes, who are better on these tires and max hitting early and having to go long i mean what if what if they brought lewis out and he was like three or four seconds behind on lap 30 and he just proceeded to be annoying to verstappen to push him pace wise and make him burn his tires up first i, I Could mean that have succeeded we'll never know I'm, it's a hypothetical, but I do kind of wonder if Mercedes might have missed its strongest strategy trying to be clever. We, of course, I mean, they're fools for not bringing us into the strategy room, aren't they? They're absolute fools. They had Ben Stiller in the strategy room, and that made them better, and they knew it. But, okay, obviously we're armchair strategists here, but it does seem like Mercedes have been caught in that no-man's land. They do favour the, oh... Red Bull have pitted. Let's go on as long as we can. And, and we, what, what happens when they do that is they see the, the gap being chewed up. And then we suddenly, we've seen it loads of times with Verstappen pitting earlier. Suddenly that gap comes down to like 16, 10 seconds. Then they've got too much to do to make up for it. And they either they either don't follow or they then don't follow through on the tactic of going longer. But they, they've aborted that going longer tactic quite a few times it's a strategic no man's land they keep finding themselves in Jono and obviously obviously we could do better if we were there but yeah but Mm -hmm. you know we're not the only ones to observe that you don't think Derek Zoolander would make a better better strategist than us good old Ben Stiller that that's the are you you saying we should uh, we should set up a school for strategists that can't pit stop very good well, potentially the missed Apex strategy team. I think that would be a pretty good team, honestly. We, I think we do a good job sometimes. But yes, I, we do trust the strategists that they have more number and more da- data, data, whatever you want to call it. Data, data, Jono, yes. Data, the US, I'll, I'll say that for Nick. Um, so look, of course, they have the numbers and they're the pros, but I think the only thing I would change, I think the strategy was pretty good today. The only thing I would change is what if... Lewis pitted before Max in the first in. I'd love to know how the race panned out. Apart from that, I don't really think there were many other strategic mistakes. We, we can just put a pin in this, but, you know, there should be a Spanners ready center for kids who can't race good and want to learn to do other stuff good too. <laughs> yeah. I so we, point, can, we can take that offline. Yeah. I want to point out that, that we are quoting from Zoolander, not saying the strategists that Mercedes are, are, not, are not good. But yeah, I mean, that takes us really to the end of one and last, Matt. And it was... It was a thriller. My, my wife came down about three laps from the end, and obviously it's nearing 10 a.m. My 11-year-old's up watching it with me, and she dared suggest. She said, shouldn't Treeface be going to bed now? And I said, Treeface will not be going to bed. Furthermore, we are neither breathing in nor breathing out for the next few laps. And she just went, well, okay. <laughs> went into the kitchen. <laughs> but I was like, no, what a time to say you should go to bed. Like the boy's face, he was like indignant with like, what? No, <laughs> why? I can't believe you missed an opportunity to troll Treeface a little bit first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on you go, lad. Yeah, no, she's right. She's right. You've been, you've been up late. You know, it is, it's not even school tomorrow. It's half time. All right, Matt, brilliant. Now that was race <laughs> one and last. And I have to just, just say both those drivers uh, drove 
drove the bots off uh, and and are giving us an absolutely gladiatorial F1 season. Long may it continue. We have still got five races left between these two. Five races left. And Van Jean made a comment. Worst Hamilton fan ever, by the way, privately made a comment to me. He said that Red Bull and Verstappen have got one hand on the trophy. Nick, what do you think? One hand on the trophy. Yeah, maybe half a hand. They're, they're, they're just they're just poking it, Jono. I, I think unless we see a 2016 Lewis Hamilton engine failure for Verstappen, I'm I'm pretty sure this championship they do have one hand on the trophy. I reckon for sure. Definitely with the next tracks coming up, I think a lot of them, especially Mexico City coming up, that definitely has been suiting the Red Bull for many years. Matt, yeah, it's it's the the gap is going out. Mexico is going to be good for them, but. I mean, we've seen it before. There's a lot of racing left to be done. We're going more races with more uh, fragile power units, more fragile cars. And I just, I refuse to believe it's over until somebody has a full race bonus. I am really surprised how confident people are that this championship has tipped massively towards... Max Verstappen and Red Bull, Jono. It's it's a 10-point gap only. Well, the reason why I think it's tipped this way is with Adrian Newey returning to the team and has more of a say in the car and has ironed out some issues with that car, has the sort of car advantage swung back in Red Bull's favor? They did seem to lose it at a few tracks mid-season, and I thought Mercedes would have had this. Or will we have this 2009-style ending where you don't know what track you go to and you could go to Mexico City, Red Bull's quickest. You go to Saudi Arabia, Mercedes is quickest. You just don't know. I think it could be random. So maybe the one hand on the trophy is looking into it uh, a little bit too harshly. Yeah, so it is 12 points. And I, I almost hate to say it because I'm not trying to be pedantic. And I don't think it really makes a practical Oh, is it difference. 12? I think, is it? I think the longer I no, sit 10. here and think about the question, I think I'm removing fingers from the trophy. I don't think they have it, a hand on the trophy. And we're going to two new tracks <laughs> One finger. in the next five. Yeah, that's true. So how can you really say that anyone has an advantage or not? I mean, we just, we can't know, can we? This has been a bit of a bugbear for me, Matt. Every race, <laughs> like... Obviously, Mercedes have done well at the tracks in the hybrid era, but every single track, they go, well, this is traditionally a Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton track. Yeah, they all have been, because Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have absolutely smashed the last five years. (laughs) So when Lewis doesn't win a race, they go, oh, what a a bloody nose Red Bull have given Mercedes at a traditionally Mercedes track. So no, well, they were all traditionally Mercedes tracks. Rip all that up now. Rip up, rip up everything. Rip up the Abu Dhabi as a Hamilton track because he's last of the late breakers. Rip up the old Mexico suits Honda and doesn't suit the Mercedes Turbo because it's high altitude. Scrap everything you know. We don't know what's coming up in the next five races. Can I, if we're talking about bugbears? Yeah. I hate when people say the gloves are coming off. You don't take gloves off no. to fight. You no. put them on and you yeah. can hit harder without breaking. Like yeah. we're going to hear the gloves are off so many times in the next five races. I'm just annoyed in advance. Yeah. And I want everyone to know I don't support that the, kind of like The gloves are off. So anyone striking their opponent is going to injure their hand because punching someone in the face with your bare hand is really, really painful. Their gloves are off just are like off. they have been all the time. <laughs> Trumpets. Well, what's being overlooked here, 
because we're focusing on the drivers. Yeah, it's the constructors' championship. Oh, no one cares. Red Bull are now within uh, what is it? Twenty six and twenty six yeah, and a, yeah, twenty ooh. twenty. No, twenty twenty three points. Oh, maths is hard. Yeah, twenty three points. points. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And and the thing with Perez, if he's going to keep on qualifying like this. The constructors, which it seemed to be pretty locked for Mercedes because Perez had been so off for stop and pace, well, you know, um, maybe Mercedes will regret giving Botas that extra internal combustion engine. Or will they? Time for me to talk about Perez. All right. Okay. It's been tough being a Perez fan this season. Uh, we have had like a, there was like an eight race period where everyone was just going, well, that's it. He's no better than, he's no better than Gasly. He's proper rubbish. That lad there who won races in his thing, that all, in the, the mid, midfield car, none of that makes sense now. He's rubbish now. So it's been tough and I've been angry and I've held my station map barely. I have. I've just sharpened, swallowed it, to be honest, because it's been a, Kicking the knackers, race after race after race, but there are there are signs that he is getting to grip with with the Red Bull. It it is looking distinctly positive. Russia, where he could have had a result, but for the the rain, Turkey, there was a podium and then a podium here today. It is looking a lot more Perez like of late. It's the qualifying. The missing piece of the puzzle has always been the qualifying and qualifying close enough to the front to be a consistent factor. And here at Coda, he did that. And that is crucial, not only for Verstappen, because he was absolutely well-placed at the start to help his teammate out in pursuit of the championship, but also for the team, because uh, our friend Botas just got utterly stuck in the back of the midfield and could make no progress. So the constructors, I know everyone's like, oh, that's not the real trophy, but that's where the money is in some ways. And it's not over and it's equally exciting, I say. There are a few things to this. So you've got, who would you pick out of Gasly, Albon, and Perez? Who's impressed you the most? Perez. And this goes back to, I personally think, (laughs) I personally think Perez too, but it's very, very close between the three. The other factor is which one of those three have had the best car? Definitely yeah. Sergio Perez. Yeah. Now, if you're going to pick one of the three, some people might say, well, pick the young guy. That's the potential for the future. Now, with the Red Bull car being so difficult to drive, you go for the experienced driver. Rumors this weekend that Perez has finally figured out how to set up this car to his style. Yeah. Can a rookie do that? And that's why you go with Sergio Perez. Maybe that's why we'll see him now closer to the front yeah. to end the year. So the argument isn't finished. The the argument may be uh, you know may be swayed towards the end of the season if this run is and and this setup thing is looking more positive and then next season might be the season where it goes okay that, okay we we've settled that he took his chance and now he's a lot more consistent and, and upfront but someone there in our live patron Slack group hello patrons but I'm going to disagree with you patreon.com forward slash missed apex to come and join us for the the live chat in our Slack group says oh forty seconds. The pace isn't there because he was down 40 seconds. The pace isn't there. Jono's about to disagree. Don't worry. No. Jono, don't worry. I've got a list, mate. So you need to just <laughs> stand down for a second because I've, right. I've got a list. I've oh, got boy. <laughs> so look, my list, here's a summary of Sergio Perez's race here today. On mm-hmm. a weekend where he could have had pole, I, I think he did. He probably 
didn't do his best Q3 run to lap, but he cites a little bit of rain and moisture. He was the last car out, but pole was there. It was a possibility for him. Lap one, he is up the inside of Max Verstappen. He is in a position to make a move and quite rightly, given the contractual position he's in, <laughs> lifts off. Even though that brings kind of Leclerc and signs into play behind him, lifts off, make sure Verstappen goes, boom, brilliant. Well, that's a, pa- that's a place down. So obviously that affects your race. He is pitted early to mess with Lewis, Lewis Hamilton's strategy. That's fine. But that, that strategy is contrary to Perez's strengths. So that's another team role as well. And pitted onto the wrong tire. The medium tire uh, yeah. was a wretched choice for that second stint. Yeah. They wanted to push Mercedes, so they put him on, quote-unquote, a faster tire. But it didn't work. But he lost buckets of time on that tire. Okay, I haven't finished my list yet. I haven't finished my list, Jono. Stand out, <laughs> right. Jono. I've got to finish my list, and then you can come in. Then Go for it. I'm warming up. When he was put onto the hards, what they needed to do from the poor position he found himself from the second stint, they had mm-hmm. to say to him, okay, give it everything use up all the rubber, just push, and you saw the purples. He was lighting up the timing screen. Push now so that you're in play if we need you, if there's another stop, if there's a safety car, push, push, push. Obviously, that wasn't the optimal strategy, and then he ended up falling down. Also, he had a bit of a snivelly cold, and he didn't have any drink all throughout the race. So 40 seconds, I don't think that's a fair reflection. Nick, quickly then, uh, Jono. Well, and to add on to the no drink, it was 80 degrees, which is like yeah. 26 Celsius. The, so no drink and it was hot. It's Texas. The, the, the wrong place to not have your drink. Jono. That's like Arctic temperatures, isn't it? In, in Texas, normally it's a little bit hotter, I would, I would assume, over there. I'm not sure how it works in the southern part of the USA. But Perez did have one set of hards for this race. He did not have two. So that was part of the reason why Trump yeah. men- uh, yeah. mentioned earlier that he went onto the medium. Because of the off And also... Yeah. Had Perez been on the same strategy as Hamilton and Verstappen, now maybe he doesn't finish 40 seconds behind, but maybe 25 seconds, maybe something around that range, which is still not entirely good, but it's not as terrible as 40 seconds. The reason is, as soon as they pushed him and tried to challenge Lewis and force Lewis to pit, you back off, save the engine. Leclerc is nowhere in fourth. Yeah. Close to the end of the race. He doesn't have to push. As a driver, you're not, you don't have any reference point to chase. And this has happened many times before. It doesn't matter where you finish. It's yeah. just seal third. Yeah. So th- that's the only reason I got defensive is just because, you know, mm. the Perez Fossi have had kicking off the kick in this season. And, <laughs> and I've seen the performance in the last three races go, no, no, no. This, he, of, he's obviously a good driver. He's, fu- he's found his pace. And in fact, we're going to go on to a lot of the drivers that moved teams really finding their pace and it's he's not the only driver that moved teams that has been finding his feet in the last few races you know in my esteemed opinion daniel ricciardo in the last three races even though some prominent folk in f1 loudly disagree with me that he was getting better he are he has shown that he is finding his feet at mclaren a little bit more and i think that's the place we go next matt Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. What a fantastic battle between McLaren and Ferrari, particularly in lap one. That didn't look like F1. That looked like a classic micro machines from computer game top down battle. You just had to add little tank turrets to them uh, to make that battle more complete. It was amazing just watching them all swarm around each other. It was great. Not only, but it was like it was the trifecta into turn nine, and somehow no one got bashed, which was astonishing on the first lap. But it did. It did kind of ruin Sainz's race a little bit um, because, as you may or may not remember, he did, he, was, he did wind up going off track and getting ahead of both McLarens and then being clever. Now, we're not going to talk about Leclerc too much because Leclerc was just fast today. He was super fast. I mean, just he was, he was not quite as fast as Perez, but he was way faster than anybody behind him. So he he got the uh, special, I get to drive in a bubble all day award. Uh, But Signs, having gone off track, immediately knows he's required to give a place back. And if I'm being honest, and I don't mean to be racist about this, but like those McLarens, they do look alike. (laughs) (laughs) You idiot. You idiot. (laughs) Okay. So he lets Ricardo. Honestly, you you scared me so much. I'm just like, okay, here's my old, here's my old white co-host going. I don't mean to be racist about this. I'm going. Oh, this could go anywhere. (laughs) And and he lets Ricardo buy, but it was actually Norris he gained the advantage on. So later on, he was forced to let Norris buy as well, and it did not work out as well for our friend Carlos Signs as. I think he had the pace to do better than he actually did today. I'm not 100% sure about that signs argument. It, it did feel like in that melee, when he lost time with Norris, battling Norris initially, because Norris came through and it looked at one point like he was going to overtake Ricardo, Signs, and Leclerc into turn one. He just absolutely went for it, basically got the other two, uh, ended up pushing you know, Signs off track. Signs comes back on, but Ricardo had the run from basically from signs and Norris battling. And it looked like, like Norris just kind of, sorry, Ricardo just got them anyway. And then signs can sit there and go, well, well, I let Ricardo back. Did you, did you really, did you son? I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't buy much of that, but you've got to be pleased, Nick. You haven't abandoned your Tafosi roots completely. Have you, you know, Ferrari are looking strong for best of the rest this year. Um, I'm kind of surprised that you put that on me because you did recognize the Max fandom. I was like, oh, we're finally, we're <laughs> finally over for Brexit. Oh, no, no, no. You can't shake your, your tafosiness. It must hearten you to see that this isn't a spiraling McLaren uh, 2013 style dismal spiral. It's, 
it looks like they're, they're on the way back up a bit. Yeah, I would think that anybody would be happy with that. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to see a team with a long history of, of being at the top just completely tumble and collapse to the nether regions, do they? You, no, you do. No, no, how dare you? No, not at all. I would take no joy in that whatsoever. Jono. I, I just realized I'm the only person without a mustache on the panel. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, I, should, <laughs> I shouldn't have shaved. Um, talking about the whole Ferrari McLaren saga and the Constructors' Championship battle, that is intense. Now, I know we don't care about the Constructors' Championship too much. You know, it's not the most interesting trophy out there. And the other reason I don't care about it is aren't Ferrari still paid like $3 trillion a year just yeah. for being in the sport? So does it yeah. matter where they finish in the Constructors' Championship? Yeah, and everyone has to laugh at their jokes and they get all the girls. As far as I, that is in their contract, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is, Matt. 4.5 points Ferrari has to make up on McLaren. It's very yeah. close. Yeah. Incredibly close. But I think if you're a Ferrari fan, you have to be excited that the upgrade of the ERS to 800 volts has absolutely worked because they do now seem to have sort of a built-in performance advantage over McLaren, and we've seen it at a couple of tracks now. So I don't know what kind of magic Zach is going to be able to pull out here, but I hope he's got something to keep this going as well as the Mercedes-Red Bull battle that's going. And isn't it officially, is it two years now? Is it officially since they were busted for the illegal power unit allegedly illegal power uh, allegedly illegal excuse me well well it's definitely illegal excuse me as well so i definitely cheated though dono didn't uh, jono didn't they they definitely did uh, like isn't that some bs let's not go back to that topic (laughs) but like how can you not reveal that that is just pure manipulation but anyway two-year recovery period and they finally done it and their car is looking pretty good so i am definitely excited to see well hopefully see ferrari back up the front next year uh, because leclerc is a driver i don't want to see in the mid-pack anymore the views of jonathan simone uh, do not reflect that of mr apex inc or spanners in particular all right but good uh, let's see how that battle that shapes up i hope they keep fighting as hard as that as that because it was uh fantastic daniel ricardo is looking a bit more comfortable it's not just the u.s Grand Prix. he's been looking comfortable for a bit absolutely so mm. comfortable he can smash into carlos signs illegally <laughs> okay go to on keep then. him from passing give me that your take on that i i don't know it, it seemed nothingy to me to be honest i would not have thought twice about it had they not made a, a fuss on the comms well, it was it was Signs who made the fuss, and if I'm going to be completely honest about it, it, it at the time he called it intentional from yeah. Ricardo. But when you look back at it, it was intentional only in the sense that Ricardo got on the throttle early and got a snap of oversteer, and that's why they collided. It wasn't intentional, like I purposefully steered my car yeah. into your car to damage it so you couldn't overtake me. Kind of intentional. We we've never seen anything from ricardo to suggest that that he was you know we don't, we don't see that kind of gamesmanship from him like like mm. trying to drive a driver off track or anything like that or make contact someone we do definitely see that from a lot and have done for ages can you guess kids who am i about to talk about that's right fernando alonso and we get to play a game whose fault is it it's never fernando alonso's fault it is everyone's fault but his my goodness did he have some Blimey, adventures. He had some adventures. Fernando Alonso versus the world. Basically, he seemed to be 
you know, enacting a grudge against Alfa Romeo in particular. But I am really interested, Matt, in the moves that were made because I think they highlight some interesting rules. They do. And it's fascinating. I mean, you could say he was simply extracting revenge for his teammate Ocon, who got smashed by Raikkonen earlier in the race. But that would not be true at all. No, he doesn't care about Ocon at all. Yeah. Uh, Fernando cares about Fernando. And that's what makes him so much fun to watch. And here we had the fascinating spectacle of him plowing into turn one with Raikkonen trying to go around the outside. He goes all the way to the edge of the track. Now, to be fair to Alonso, he did have the position on Raikkonen. He was ahead of Raikkonen. Raikkonen's front wheels were behind his. Yeah. But Raikkonen goes all the way to the edge of the track, right to where the white line is. And he says, I'm not turning my wheel any farther. Yeah. And there's lots of carbon fiber. And um, Raikkonen just keeps his foot in it from there, winds up taking the place. And Alonso is incensed because, and he's not wrong about this technically, Raikkonen was on the other side of the white line, but only because Alonso was literally yeah. planted in his barge board. So I think this is this is quite critical to, to what I've been talking about all season with the Hamilton Verstappen move. You're allowed to go yeah. all the way to the outside as long as the car on the outside chooses and volunteers to disappear. Then it's considered fine. But Jono, Raikkonen didn't decide to disappear he stayed quite a lot there and the flying carbon fiber proves basically that that is that's alonso's fault he's driven into a car that exists on track yeah look raikkonen's coming towards the end of his career but mentally you can't back out of a move like that and yes he's only got a few races left but he's not backing down to people and that's what you're seeing with the championship battle where it's even more spicier is you know, Hamilton, Verstappen, and I'm not going to go back to a discussion on their little scrap, but they can't back down to each other. They both have to let the stewards decide stuff. So they have to crash into each other until the stewards say no more. Because if you back down to the other person, you lose the mental fight. Yeah. Now, with the with the around the outside move, I like it. I, I like that if the drive has to go off, you know, so be it. If there's room, force him off the track. I like that hard racing personally. Really? I like that they don't penalize it. But again, the reason why I'm also wrong, the other side of it is, where do you draw the line? I love that you just argued with yourself. And, uh, yes. And I, I mean, exactly. who won? Who won? Jono or Jono? Like, Jono <laughs> one or Jono two? Who won um, out of that? But, but, I, but the thing is, Raikkonen mm-hmm. didn't move. Therefore, Alonso moves into a car that exists on yeah. the racetrack. And, and, Play on. Yeah, and, and in, there's a difference between coercing the person on the outside to get out of your way and actually physically pushing him off the track. So at that point, Raikkonen's off the track only because Alonso's hit him. And I think you're critical there. If if Raikkonen had tried to keep more of his car on track, he would have essentially driven into Alonso because you are required to acknowledge cars alongside now with the latest update of the passing rules back from Austria and whatnot, cars on the outside are not cannot simply be made to disappear as they used to be back in yeah. the good old days of Hamilton Rosberg at Abu Dhabi. So, so Raikkonen was within his rights once he got to the edge of the track to not go any further. And I think that's essentially what the stewards were saying. But Alonso was not really pleased with that. Because technically, he was ahead of Raikkonen. Raikkonen was on the other side of the white line. And somehow, Raikkonen winds up ahead of him. 
And this sets the stage for like yeah. so much hilarity later in the race. Okay, so what's good is the the the, the we had the Massey versus uh, I don't know who the I don't know who the team guy Mackey's. is. Was it Mac? No, no, that's Ferrari. Sorry. Um, is it Rivio? Maybe I don't maybe. know. But the, we had the Alpine guy on the radio, but not after that event. The Alpine guy was arguing the Raikkonen event after the Alonso overtaking. Giovinazzi event because you know Alonso fires down the inside goes absolutely miles off track manages to you know obviously scare Giovinazzi a bit and then comes back on track is ahead and then goes yes I did it completely legally hooray and then that's the point that Alpine get on the radio to the FIA and go right so is Raikkonen allowed to go round outside is he is it allowed is that allowed and the, obviously the argument from that is if that's allowed then you cannot penalise Alonso or ask him to give the place back for his dive bomb, Nick. Yeah, some pretty solid lawyering there. Yeah, I it was. find any flaw in that logic. That's what I was thinking. I mean, over the years, I've found myself, I'll be honest, often annoyed with Fernando's radio messages. But this time I was like, you know, this is a man who is just advocating for himself and his interests to the furthest extent possible just stringent advocation as the kids like to say he woke up and chose violence this morning yeah i <laughs> mean and that that overtake i cannot stress enough he drove into a steep turn yeah way too fast he was so far back he saw all that runoff and he simply redrew the track for that one corner yeah. ensured he <laughs> was so he far did. ahead of Giovinazzi he knew he was going to get called on it and he demanded his team make the argument well Reikonen was over the white line and he got to keep the place why shouldn't Fernando and mm. just the the Mazzy had the sound to me of every parent of every toddler in the world as they make like that laugh <laughs> they're like no no one is allowed to do that <laughs> Sorry, I had myself muted there. So I personally so look forward to Fernando Alonso radio messages. It's probably definitely one of my favorite parts of an F1 race. So when I see him pull off these moves, get on the radio, even if it's something calm, you just love it. And I don't know, I like that entertainment. I like that kind of drama. It's not as aggressive as some of his 2005, 2006 radio messages where I, I borderline felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist. But over the years, he's gotten more timid with them and more calmer and more professional with them. But they're still entertaining. So uh, in my philosophy, Fernando, keep pushing people off the track. Keep making really weird radio messages yeah. and keep saying funny things in the press and then go and, you know, get penalized and not get penalized and whatever you was talking about. In case it's not clear, I am a Fernando Alonso fan and, and have been his whole career. But I'm, I'm more than happy to point out his very turnipish behavior. Nick, I just have to disagree with Jono there. I just <laughs> couldn't feel more differently about that. I, I mean, I felt like he was stealing the show a bit and, and I guess bringing entertainment value for you. But to me, it was like drawing focus to something that happened outside the points when there was probably something more interesting going on for me. That said, Matt, isn't it okay to have the B story? You know, well, a, a C story, isn't it? We had Max and... And uh, uh, Max and Lewis, we had the Ferrari and the McLarens. I guess it's okay to see Alfa Romeos just with this weird vendetta against Alonso. Yeah, well, I think you have to have that. But what I love is the conclusion to this story, which is 
Once again, into turn one, Alonzo goes steaming, brake dust flying out of his wheels, makes the move on Giovinazzi exactly like we saw Alonzo make on Raikkonen, but Giovinazzi goes all the way off track to avoid contact, comes out ahead of Alonzo, and is immediately told he has to give the place back. And Alonzo is literally seizing on every perceived um, discrepant yep. interpretation of the rules and taking it up to 11 or 1100, I guess, in this case. Alonzo is playing the referee. He is absolutely, he's done it. He's done it his whole career. He is very aware that what he is saying is being broadcast. And when he talks about, oh, there's British bias and all that sort of stuff, all he's doing is getting in the steward's head. So when they make a decision, maybe they're influenced a little bit by it. He's definitely one of the best at playing the political game. Sure. He's very, that's, very smart. That's the one. Yeah, he's political. 100%. As well. yeah. He's definitely the smartest. And I, I, for me, Fernando Alonso is one of my favorite drivers as well, along with Lewis Hamilton, along with Sebastian Vettel. Those are the drivers I grew up loving to watch F1. But the thing is, to me, Fernando Alonso is the king of hyping himself up in the media yeah. by going... You know, I qualified 14th, but that was the best lap of my life. That was a world record lap in this car, and that's it. Everyone goes, oh, my God, he must be the best Jono, driver of Jono, all time. One time at Monza, Kimi Raikkonen's his teammate, he, at qualifying, he said, oh, look, look, all the teammates are lining up. He has his teammate. Mm. He has his teammate. Look at me. No teammate. To like, yeah. go, look how brilliant <laughs> I am. Look how much better I am than uh, Kimi Raikkonen. So, look, whilst I'm saying I've been a, a fan of uh, Alonso, Someone in the live chat said, what, even in 2007? Maybe not in 2007 specifically. But despite being a fan, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a turnip. Like, I get it. He's a git. I get it. Right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Yuki Snowda. Mm-hmm. Been getting a hard time. Another driver not, you know, jumping into a new car this season. Has had his struggles. Has been much divided. But when he's been called upon to race and defend against Mercedes, he has defended well. And that's two races in a row, Matt. And I'm just, you know, I'm not saying he's turned it around and he's better than Gasly or anything, but we've at least we've seen some racing from him. He's got a contract. Toro Rosso see the the data and the Ponda money and connection. But I don't know. <laughs> Sky very clearly said he was not satisfactory after his second or third race. So why they keep him around is just beyond oh, me. Or Simply, he's started to mature a little bit, is getting to grips with the car, and we're beginning to see what he might be capable of. And so it was probably a smart move to give him some time and space to get to grips with uh, a car at this level, especially because I believe he's on the youngish side for having made this jump. So he's done enough to get that second contract to be there next year. And I... There's a lot of drivers, There's, like I said earlier, and I've been making this point all season, there's a lot of drivers that have struggled to get to grips with a new car, and I don't think it's a coincidence that several of them are starting to get a grip at around the same time. It's a shame that it's 15 races into the season, but all those drivers we're talking about have a contract for next year. So if Sainz, Ricardo, Perez, Sonoda, n- name any more drivers who've changed teams, you know, start doing very well, next season from from the off and don't look as bad as they did at the beginning of 2021 can we can we at least will you promise me can we roll back to 2021 when we were criticizing all these drivers and i don't know and maybe just revisit that i want to talk about aston martin before we get to the podium why aston martin rubbish i don't that's happened it slowly jono it's happened slowly 
I didn't notice, but yeah. now they, they seem a bit rubbish now. I had them... So let me look at my list before the race. I had them one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh fastest today behind Alpine. That was what I thought. So they're certainly not as quick as they were last year. Vettel scored points. Yes, likely due to the DNF of Gasly. I think mm. Gasly would have taken that spot and Vettel wouldn't have scored points. But um, they do do something on strategy that's very common and that's go long. And they that's something you've got to look yeah. out for every race is that Aston Martin are generally the last team to pit um, I don't know what else to say. If I were them, just focus on next year. Don't worry about the championship this year. Put as much budget as you can to next year and start off with a good car. Is that what they're doing, Matt? Well, uh, yeah. So essentially, if you want to roll it back, do you remember when Aston showed up before they were quite Aston and they had a car that looked exactly like last year's Mercedes and everyone thought, oh man, that's really clever and they did yeah. really, really well? Until the regulations change and they had to <laughs> use a new floor design. And then suddenly the fact that it was a brand new approach for them meant that they had no previous data to fall back on to solve all the aerodynamic problems that Mercedes has solved this year. Okay, so that's so, why. <laughs> okay. That's one reason. Second reason, Vettel, new power unit, although he qualified ahead of all the other new power unit holders, uh, say Botas, he did have to start for those taking the full grid drop. He did get to start ahead of them. And then finally, at the first corner, we have some internecine national contact between uh, Latifi and Stroll that spun Stroll around and put him all the way to the back. So as far as this particular race goes, I think that's why you didn't see more from Aston. But the, the larger issue is they've got a brand new car. And although they understand it much better this year, I think the regulation change really did not help them. Okay. Uh, I think. That's that's kind of all I want to cover before the podium, Matt, unless I'm missing anything. Oh, I've got a question. In fact, Jono, here we go. Mazepin. Mm-hmm. Mazepin. Yeah. Has he finished, has he qualified last every race? Now, what? remember, we we're going to check this, but I told you the way to proof check that is Google Luca Badawa <laughs> and proof check his like, qualifying results. the worst <laughs> qualifier ever. And obviously, like, engine penalties will put people to the back. But has he been last mm-hmm. of everyone who didn't get an engine penalty, Matt, or has he out-qualified anyone at any point? He might have at some point out-qualified Schumacher because of a dropped lap or something Oh, I see. Okay. like that. Mm. But essentially, Schumacher has been faster than him all season, although he did have the heavier glued-back-together chassis for the first part of the season. So just looking at his qualifying results for the year, a lot of 20s, some 19s, <laughs> Two 18s, maybe oh. nothing better than that, but yeah, the worst average starting position at 19 and a half. If so, pretty, so, pretty yeah, so, pretty much. So, jo- given Jono that it's not the best car yeah. in the world, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still worthy of note that you know, it doesn't, it's bad. It's definitely the most difficult car to drive on the grid. Go back to the first race of the season where both he and Mick Schumacher spun in the opening laps of yeah. both those two starts. Yeah. Now, he finished almost one lap behind his teammate today. That's a bit inflated because he was lapped more. And when you get lapped, you have to give up more time. But it's still not impressive at all. He had the spin in the opening laps, which set him back a lot of time as well. Uh, but he certainly has these inconsistency in him where... Some races, he's decent in comparison to Mick Schumacher, but a majority of the time, he's absolutely awful like today. I do believe I heard briefly that he was having an issue with his feet being incredibly hot or burned 
mm. which we, we've heard from other drivers from time to time if there are heat issues in the cockpit. So he may have also been suffering with that today. I wasn't able to confirm it before we recorded the show. So I don't want to say it 100%, but I did hear that in the commentary. Okay, I think that is all I want to cover before we go to the podium. Well, I tell you what, doing a race review at 11pm is not at all as bad as I thought it was going to be. If anything, this is much more my, my natural environment. You know, I'm, I'm very far away from the hustle and bustle of a family dinner. Maybe we could uh, experiment and do all our race reviews at 11 o'clock. Although it will limit the staff, I, the staff, the team. You know, I, I did message all the old men in the Mist Apex panel and they were all like, no, I have to get up by 9 o'clock tomorrow UK time. I'm not doing it. So I had to go to my international crew. We had to go to Nick Alexander, who is in like the Rocky Mountains or something. Where are you? Well, in a global scale, not far off from that. More like the Cascade Mountains. Okay. There's more than one mountains in America? There's several. Oh, okay. Okay. So to the west, at least? Yeah, I'm on the west oh, coast. Okay. I'm in the Seattle area. Okay. Okay. And uh, you used to do a podcast about re- actual reading books. Did that die? Yes. Or? Yeah, I used to. So oh, okay. I'm wondering why you've brought it up. Just to remind me that I failed at my podcast venture and yours is still going after all these years. Pod fade. It happens to us all. But on the plus side, you are looking skinny and fit and are running like ultra marathons or whatever. Just the regular ones. I've done one Just marathon oh. since probably the last time I was on. Yeah, but you've got all the gear. I've seen the pictures of you on Instagram with your with your water thing and your straw. So we can follow you on Instagram by searching for Nick Alexander running sexy God, I think. Is that right? It's at Nick Alexander F1. Um, and some people have found me there, actually. Oh, so there you go. go ahead, stalk away, look at pictures of me running and such. And Twitter as well. The same handle. Yeah. Same handle. So here's the part of the show where we do our Good Thing Award. It's a thing of the weekend award that I would like to uh, give you all an opportunity to choose. So bearing in mind that you are not to pick Sergio Perez and his general weekend performance, who is your thing of the weekend? Well, you said who, but I'm going to... Well, it is a who, actually. The collective 400,000 some odd people that went to the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Really awesome to see such a full crowd. You could really hear the cheers um, in the opening laps, especially. It was just, it felt like a real live, normal sporting event. I liked it. They they and they don't mind expressing their opinions on drivers on the driver parade. Uh, some drivers got cheers, some drivers got booze, but it was a, a pantomime. Yeah, I uh, don't know that I got the drivers parade on TV, um, but I am not surprised to hear that there were some opinions. Excellent, excellent. Let's go to our Antipodean Jonathan Simon, Jono from Australia. You commentate quite a bit on. Mm-hmm. On sim racing, on supercar sim racing? I do, I do. That just mm-hmm. wrapped up a few weeks ago, unfortunately. I really enjoyed that. So for anybody who watches supercars action in Australia, we ran our own E-series. Uh, all the races are archived on YouTube, so you can still watch them if you're the international audience. And even for Australians too, who didn't catch it on TV, uh, we've got it there. We've got some other events coming up too. Uh, run my own podcast channel as well, Channel Claxon. So I do that. And you can follow me on my personal Instagram as well. Well, I think, Matt, we can link to that in the show notes below. 
uh, and uh, and make sure that you catch up with that. But supercars, whenever I've caught any of it, just strikes mm. me as like the wild west of racing. It's. I'll be honest with you. It is one of the best forms of racing you can watch. It's got a mix of sprint touring car racing. Then we've got the Bathurst 1000 and endurance events. And I like I said last time I was on the podcast, for those who might not watch Supercars Australia Racing, and it's a very popular series now worldwide as it grows, mm-hmm. it's a mix of DTM and the British Touring Car Championship. I think it's a bit more touring car than DTM, isn't it? In attitude... No comment. Oh, a little bit of on, both. A, a yes. little bit of both. It, it, it used to be very loose, but it is getting very corporate. That's the DTM side. It's becoming more and more uh, corporate okay. the way F1 has. I'm sorry. I watched that video footage from the last of the DTM races, and there's no way that it was anywhere near <laughs> the standards of touring cars. Yeah, and that's saying something. Jono, what was your thing of the weekend in the Formula One? I had something else uh, which was a little boring. So I'm going to go for something a little bit more lighthearted, which was Shaquille O'Neal standing on the podium, yet almost as tall as the drivers. And he wasn't, sorry, standing off the podium. (laughs) And the drivers were still pretty much almost shorter than him. So he's seven foot two in size. Um, Good to see him at an F1 race. I think he's been to a few. I know he was at Germany 2000 at Hockenheim, Mm. I think. But I don't know how many more he's been to apart from that. No, I reject your thing of the weekend. I'm not having a oh look at the clever tall person who happened to be who who happened to be born with long bones. Oh, aren't basketball players brilliant for having long bones compared to the silly small racing drivers? That is heightest. <laughs> basketball is an elitist, heightest sport, and it should burn. Trumpets, you're tall, and I hate you. And you are at MattPT55 on Twitter. What is your thing of the weekend, though? I just got to say, it's the full race between Verstappen and Hamilton. I loved every second of it. I couldn't look away from it. And especially in the closing laps, it was just utterly riveting. I, I don't know who's going to win, but whoever doesn't win has, has got nothing whatsoever to be ashamed of because this is one for the record books. I hope when this championship is done and dusted, there's obviously a lot of like very passionate Hamilton fans. There's a lot of passionate Verstappen fans. There's a probably an even larger group of anyone but Lewis people, like who are just just want Lewis to not win a title, so they're happy to just support the challenger. And I get that. I lived through the the Schumacher years. What I would love to to have as a kind of pact between all of us is. When one driver wins and one driver is going to win, that it should be a, oh my goodness, like what an opponent our driver beat. Yeah, that is absolutely. The, and, and that's what it is. Like if if you're in a contest like that and you walk away from it and you're not the victor, you you can't feel bad because there's nothing left you could have done. Yeah. And, and I say to my kids, you know, in, in nearly all amateur sport, if you win a match or a league, it's almost always because you're just in a league that you're better than. <laughs> so, like, you need to just get to a, a higher league and compete at a higher standard. And I would rather, I hate losing, but I would rather lose a good game than win a bunch of easy ones. And whichever driver loses this season will have lost a hell of a season. And whichever driver wins, I think, will have a massive stamp in the history books to go, I won one of the best, most competitive F1 titles in history. Is that hyperbole? Is that hyperbole? 
Is it? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. My thing of the weekend, Sergio Perez, shut up. He did he was ill. He had snivels and everything and didn't even have a water bottle and his shoes were on the wrong feet. But I've just needed these last three performances as a Perez fan, as someone who has emotionally staked reputation on saying that the lad's going to do well, he's going to get settled in. The new contract was good. I would have preferred that the new contract wasn't followed up with eight disaster races. But I'm really heartened by this this setup thing of like, oh, I'm not just using Verstappen's setup anymore. I think I know how to make this Red Bull car work. And it's been backed up with qualifying results and some pace. He is obviously still playing the team game. That's fine. I understand that. Fair enough. The chat room is suggesting Danica Patrick. So I'm just going to put that name out there. It was nice to see a new face in the broadcast. Considering she was dropped into a completely different discipline of motorsport that she doesn't have like a particular like week to week insight of or experience of as a expert guest pundit. I think she was uh, utilized well and, and did her and her discipline uh, of uh, NASCAR and IndyCar. She ended up doing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, did, did them proud. And uh, this relationship between traditionally European motorsport and American motorsport is is just crystallizing and ambassadors from the US side of that, like Danica Patrick, like Matt Trumpets, are vital to us merging together as this motorsport family. Oh, this is the bit now where we get to just be like super mean and like and be mean about people. Been waiting for it all show. Here we go. Oh no, you missed the apex. Alright. From from our sofas, from our sheds, from our offices sitting in front of our lovely little dogs, Penny, behind uh, Nick. We get to sit and uh, criticise people who are driving and designing and strategizing billion-dollar prototypes over the course of the season magnificently. Nick Alexander, who are you judging from your office? From the office, I was judging the grid walk, to be oh, honest. Oh, it was. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I know that was a while ago now, but okay, it's the Sky Gridwalk, and we should say, like, when Martin Brundle isn't at a race weekend, I, as someone who has to watch the Sky coverage because that's the only legal way to watch it in my country, I miss Martin Brundle when he's not there on the commentary. I really, Mm. really miss Martin Brundle. I hope he keeps commentating on F one forever. The Gridwalk isn't my favorite, Nick. It's a hard task, so I don't. You know, we were just so nice about Danica. So then I'm like, Oh, I'm going to immediately follow this up by dunking on Martin Brundle. That's the segment. But that's the segment. That's the segment. That's right. That was the assignment. So I, I think it's a hard task. He he has all these celebrities. He's running around. It's meant to be spontaneous. You're meant to bump into people, but it's really hard when some people are willing to talk to you. Some people are not willing to talk to you. It's like, I feel like when you have, interviews and other sports, you know, between innings or periods or or whatever that, you know, the players kind of take turns taking the interviews. It's like, is there any way that we could like prearrange this a little yeah. bit and people yeah. could take turns talking to the media? Because it's totally ad hoc. And um, sometimes it's really great. And he really strings them all together. This time, uh, it, it kind of hurt. You, you kind of have a sense of which celebrities are, a, aren't going to have a massively brilliant opinion on Formula One because they've just been invited. They're guests. They're there to learn about F1 and go, well, what do you think about the the engine rev rate and the Mercedes turbo? How, how do you feel they... Pff, race cars yeah. go vroom. 
well, how long have you been a fan? How many races have you been to? And it's like, can you not gatekeep this basketball player on live television? It's not, it's not really fair. I thought Ben Stiller did really well. He was like, I'm just here to watch the race. I brought a family member, you know, happy yeah, yeah, to say yeah. hello for the cameras. But, you know, I'm a TV guy. Like, I don't know. I, I'm reluctant anything. to put that all on Brundle because you'd think there would be someone like ahead of him that would arrange which celebrities actually want to talk about F1 and which ones like Serena Williams have st- have consistently proved they don't want to be spoken to. And, and maybe in the future they will do because with Serena especially, that was pretty painful. It was because, he, because it was 0 for 2. Yeah, well, it was it was uh, over three in the end, Jono. <laughs> I, I personally disagree. I think from a TV perspective, I like the ad hocness of the the grid work, uh, grid walk. I like the chaos of it. Um, it gives you a feel of what the F one grid really is. Some mm-hmm, of us are not mm-hmm. privileged enough to be able to go onto the grid and, and get those passes, you know. So I would kill to be there one day. Um, I find it funny when celebrities reject Martin Brundle (laughs) and then he literally speaks to their posse and goes, yeah, buzz off. I can talk to him whenever (laughs) I want. That's the best moment. That is do not disrespect Martin Brundle. So to me, um, I I just love that stuff. And I love seeing, you know, after 10 years, I'm going to see another 20 minute compilation of best grid walk moments. And I'm going to watch it maybe four, four or five times a year. That's a good point. If someone sent me a link of a YouTube video, here's 50 occasions that Martin Brundle has failed to successfully interview a celebrity on a grid walk. I'm, I'm probably going to click that. So yeah. yeah. Jono, who missed the apex for you? Uh, this is a bit of a, bit of a weird one. And it's not really a criticism of, of Nicholas Latifi, but starting grid for Williams was George Russell 20th, Nicholas Latifi 14th. Now he was involved yeah. in a collision. Yeah. Now what was funny about that, and yes, this wasn't Latifi being slow or anything, was at the end of the first lap, it was the opposite. George Russell 14th, Nicholas Latifi 20th. I just thought that that was funny and, and pretty embarrassing for some reason. Um, so that is, uh, you know, that's who missed I, the I didn't see the incident map, but he got sandwiched a little, did he? Well, Okay, so do we we all remember Pierre Gasly in, in, in Turkey and Alonso, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So his call on the radio was, oh my gosh, those Haas, what are they thinking? They just dove right up the inside of me. I was sandwiched, which is what happened to Gasly, and he got blamed for the Alonso incident. So draw your own conclusions, and I swear I'm not in the least bit biased because later on he drove out of the pit lane right to the edge of the track and completely ignored the fact that Ocon was there. <laughs> so he slighted Ocon, Jono. Didn't Alonso say that only French drivers get penalties in their fine? I'm pretty sure he said that somewhere. <laughs> Matt, two rumpets. Who missed the apex for you? You know, I was really worried that this would get picked up, but I'll tell you who missed the apex for me. Kimi Raikkonen. And no, not because he smashed into Ocon on the first lap and totally ruined his race. Not because he illegally passed Alonzo outside of the track. Oh, come no. on. What? No, no. He gets the Miss the Apex Award because he was in 10th place with two or three laps to go and just oh, said, I wonder it. what happens if I turn the wheel the other way here and did a big <laughs> spin and no points for Alfa Romeo. But that's very un-Kimi Raikkonen-like, isn't it? Mm. To just drop it like that. Especially at a track where he picked up his last win as well. Um, mm. I, I, that was a great one. I do agree with Trumpets that he definitely missed the apex and, and he threw away points. How many alpha was so quick this weekend. Just one more thing. Their pace all weekend. You look back to FP one, they were ninth and 10th. They were so quick. 
And yet this is one of their few chances to score points and games gain some any vital hope to take Williams for the next spot in the standings. And he blew it. Wow. Well, no one no one picked Alonso. Sweet. That's an easy one. <laughs> I picked Fernando Alonso for smashing into Kimi Raikkonen, diving down. Do you know what? This is the one that really gets me. It's the diving down the inside of Giovinazzi, declaring that the outside of turn one is now definitely the track, and then going on the team rodeo and going, yes! You know, like really celebrating it. Like, st- like he was fully styling it out. Like maybe if I celebrate hard enough, the stewards will go, oh no, look how happy he is. Like fair play. Fair play. He wouldn't be that happy if if it wasn't legal. So that's my that's my Mr. Apex Award, Alonso. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, pony. Do we have any ponies? I'll press the button then see if we've got ponies. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Now then, I I didn't hear too many, too many pony awards. We did have that incident in practice where it was a bit of a Days of Thunder type incident, wasn't it, Nick? Between Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. I didn't watch practice. What? Even if you don't watch practice, you don't admit to watching, not yeah, watching yeah. practice. Just, just like nod and go, why don't you tell me about it, Spanners? Okay, I will. So, Back to you. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen were lining up to do hot laps. Uh, Hamilton's behind another car. Verstappen goes down the inside uh, in the last sector somewhere uh, and overtakes. And there's some kind of gentleman's agreement that you don't do that when you're queuing up to do your hot lap. Lewis Hamilton is like, ha, don't, don't you overtake me. I'm the one who overtakes you. And in an act of reasonable pettiness, then goes down the inside of Max Verstappen near the end of the lap to, to kind of take his place back. Very petty. But what was super telling was that as soon as he did that, Verstappen didn't go, oh, you broke the agreement and you overtook me. He put his foot in and, and like hung on and clung on round the outside it was like Days of Thunder in the wheelchair down the hospital corridor. You're not racing, lads. You're not racing. But it was that rush of blood. And I, I believe they both threw up middle fingers to each other. And you went, yeah, this is, yeah, they're not. This has gone beyond. They're a little bit. It's a bit aggro, Matt. It's a bit aggro. And that radio message, though, none of the Lewis Hamilton stuff was broadcast. The the initial, The hand gesture from Hamilton wasn't shown. In a strange turn of events, Max Verstappen's behaviour was highlighted by the radio calls and the, the video. Just after he had told everybody that he was not going to participate in the Netflix Drive to Survive series. And then my conspiracy theories, Matt, is that the FIA are punishing Verstappen by highlighting more of his stuff because he's not playing Netflix. Boom. It's always worth remembering they get to choose what gets aired. Yeah, so if they want to make you look bad, guess what? They yeah. can make you look bad. I think, and I think Verstappen came off worse than that, or from that, than he perhaps could have done. I, I believe that narrative didn't favour Verstappen in that case. Do we have any ponies, guys? Do we have any pony awards? Uh, Nick has one. Well, the Alpine guy that got on the radio complaining about Raikkonen oh. overtaking on the outside, that was that was rude, in my opinion. Um I mean, I know you want to advocate for your team and whatnot, and but I just, I don't know. I feel bad for Massey and these radio messages being broadcast um, is something relatively new, but it's like, it doesn't seem like, it didn't seem very professional. 
to me, mm. the way that they were talking to Massey on the radio. I thought it was too much. I agree. It needed the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme music while it was going on. <laughs> Matt, did you have a pony as well? You know, I will bring this up. Is Red Bull complaining about Mercedes rear suspension? Oh, yeah. And then it turns out that half the teams have been doing it for like the last 30 years or whatever. Like, I know it's part of the overall championship game to just mess with people and make them spend money explaining stuff. But, but yeah. So, so Red Bull had complained about it. And then a certain member of the Sky Broadcast team declared it to the world as if it was this new, like, as if they had just discovered DAS again. Yeah. Uh, And that, that particular broadcaster has been accused in the past past of possibly possibly being allegedly occasionally like being a you know having some ins to red bull and that may be passing on some of that information okay so we have one award left and that is to our live stream that are watching us Uh, these are our kind patrons that support us at mist apex now hang on patreon.com forward slash mist apex link in the show notes below if you would like to support us with a a micro payment uh, every month we have a few tiers you can get an ad free uh, audio stream you can get the extra content that we do sometimes before the races, which is worse content because we're more chilled, but, you know, it's extra shows. And you can join us in our Patreon Slack group, which is where our live stream chat currently is. Did I say the link? Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. They get an award, though, for the funniest or most insightful comment, and it's called this. Comment of the week. That's me singing that, Matt. You and maybe somebody else. Wife might have helped. All right, fine. Give us some candidates for comment of the week and we are going to let, because it's Nick's first time on the show, we're going to let Nick pick the winner. All right. Well, um, I I will say Stuart Neal is first up uh, regarding our Pirelli tire discussion. Just need sprinklers and we have the perfect format. Yeah, well, this is the thing. People go, oh, sprinklers, that's stupid. That's artificial. Yeah, literally everything in motorsport is artificial. It's fine. Like everything has been created. These aren't, we're not racing around on trees, on waterfalls. Everything in F1 is official. We can decide if we want F1 to be sprinkler driven, it can be sprinkler driven. Next one. I think we're going to go with Chris Fonseca, who had several very good ones, but I'm going to choose Alonso has left the chat and gained an advantage. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. Next, next, next. Uh, Todd in Phoenix regarding the Latifi Stroll Canadian collision. I was surprised the team radio wasn't everyone involved just saying, sorry. <laughs> okay, I mean, racist, oh, I... but very funny. Okay, is that it? <laughs> I think we have two more if we've time. One is Keith H. Uh, Richard's Missed Apex, Red Bull's drink engineer. Oh, for yeah. For the Perez drink failure. How dare you deny Perez water? How could you? Go on. And lastly, we have Rolando Perfosi Castellanos, rule number one of Map Club. Don't talk about not watching free practice. Yeah, Nick. But I believe you have a candidate as well, Nick. Oh, I don't have a candidate. I was oh, going to okay. weigh in. So oh, okay. about the Canadians saying sorry about causing collision, there is actually a Canadian law that covers that apologizing is not an admission of guilt. It's just they reflexively say sorry. They're sorry that it happened. It's not sorry, I apologize. There is a law to protect Canadian motorists. That's incredible because, yeah, in the UK, that's one of the things you get is like, don't admit guilt, don't apologize. Be nice, but don't apologize. I love that the Canadians literally have a law to allow it. 
Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pick uh, the comment from Chris Fonseca that Alonzo has left the chat and gained an advantage. Wow, Christopher Fonseca. I mean, we tried to ban him from winning, but he is an unsinkable rubber ducky and wins. Comment of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, please go and follow my panel at Nick Alexander F1 on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the link in the show notes to catch Jono in his supercars commentary and your podcast channel. Remind us the name of your podcast channel. It is at Channel Claxon. You'll on. see it in the YouTube description. Okay, us on YouTube. That's good. And follow Matt at MattPT55. He's the second best one. And he has a wife who has allowed him to come and do this podcasting during dinner time. Apologies, you're going to have to go and eat some cold dinner, Matt. But we can make it up to her by putting a link in the show notes to her romantic novels. And, and we shall. And tell people to follow her at A Weaver Writes. I would love it if you would follow the show. It's at Mist Apex F1. Apart from all the Patreon stuff, we've got a Facebook group. Uh, we have that Twitter account. We try and be as interactive as possible. You can email me, spanners at mistapex.net, Matt, uh, Matt at mistapex.net, or both of us, uh, feedback at mistapex.net. We're a little behind with the emails, but we do read them all, so please do keep getting in touch. We're going to line up some great content for the next couple of weeks. Um, Matt, is it Mexico in two weeks? It is, isn't it? So we've got a week's Indeed break. Indeed it is. Then Mexico. That is going to be good. It's not on Halloween, though, so I can't do my Day of the Dead makeup like usual. I'm very upset about that. Uh, that's that's a shame. Mm. But you can follow me, too, uh, at Spanners Ready. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Oh my God, it is 12.45. It's midnight 45, Matt. And the last thing I want to do is go to bed. Like there is no part of me right now that is like, yeah, it's sleepy, sleepy time. Well, that's good because like you've got a lot of editing. Yeah, I've got now. I've got like an hour and a half's worth of editing. It's definitely going to be past two o'clock before I we could, Oh, that's painful, we, man. We could do a tire talk addendum and get you back on track for your sleep schedule. Yeah, though. that could could you wait till after I've done the edit though? Because there, there's loads of times <laughs> where we have like really high energy shows. And I'm like, wow, I'm buzzing so much, and then like there's some audio problem, and then I have to spend like an hour fixing like a buzz from one of the panelists. And by the time it's finished, I'm like proper naughty dog. But then even then, you don't want to go to bed. So I've said to the kids, so my wife is working. She's got the shed from like uh, 8 o'clock doing lessons and live streams. The children, 9 and 10, I've said, if there's an emergency, you can wake me up. Do not starve. Do not struggle. Do not deal with your own injuries. If you need me, wake me up. But try not to need me. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.